All right. Are we going, Morgan? Good, Morgan says we've been going. All right, let me change the setting here. By the way, um, I got that sent off to uh, Barrow over in the Philippines, and it ended up being 18,000 PHP, whatever PHP is, 18,000. He hasn't picked it up yet, but... I have done this before, and it takes them a little. They don't. They're in another country, so they they kind of function a little bit different than we do. You know, he don't have a car. If he has to go somewhere, he has to go rent. A lot of times, he rents a little scooter. You know, if he's got far to travel, everything else they walk. You know, it's a different country. So, but uh, I am. Uh, I'm tickled to share with him, and I just I just know that that last thing I sent him, uh, he was telling me that uh, I, I, w- I was talking to him uh, just about. Uh, he wished me a happy uh, pastor appreciation, and I was talking to him about, it and I said. Being a good pastor begins one with husbands love your wives. That's where it begins. And then, you know, raising your children and, and all those things. And I'm just not making this up. Paul talked about the very thing in Titus and, and uh, Timothy. And he was telling me he knew so many pastors over there that had their families were a mess because they had to go build their ministry. And, and he was so uh, tickled with the word that I'd shared, and he was going to go share it with all these other people. So even though it looks like sometimes the, our ministry doesn't reach very far, it reaches way farther than what you think. And, and just to know a person personally on the other side of the world who prays for, he knows y'all's names, and prays for you. I mean, you know, how many people do you know in the Philippines that's actually laying your name out before the Father praying over you? So I'm pretty tickled about it. And uh, so, I mean, that's, that's the ministry. The Challenge of Prayer, Part 4. I'm going to get right in. It's 10 to 10. <laughs> yeah, we got to fix the clock. I need a big digital one. The challenge of prayer. All right. I'm going to go to 1 John chapter 5. I was going to start in verse 14, but I'm going to back up to verse 13. The challenge of prayer. All the things that we've talked to in the past few weeks now listen to this 
These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, or believe in, believe in Jesus, okay? John is saying, I'm writing to you these things I've written unto you that believe, that you may know that you have eternal life. Now listen, John didn't say that one of these glad days you're going to get eternal life. I'm writing to you that believe on Jesus that you may know. Know what? That you have it. You have it at this very moment. You who believe have it. Eternal life. And that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Or believe in the name. The person, right? The person. And, y'all know what and mean. And means the sentence is continuing. It's a conjunction here that's adding together. And this is the confidence that we have in Him. Who is Him? The Son of God. That if we ask... Anything according to his will, he hears us. If we ask what? Anything. And if we know that he hears us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Look at this confidence, and this is the confidence that we have in Him. You know, confidence means there's no doubts here, right? No doubts. If we ask anything according to His will, what? He hears us. Have you ever wondered if the Lord heard your prayers? I know there was a time in my life you wondered and you thought other people were closer to God. But but see, this John is writing to all who believe on him so that you would have confidence to know that he hears you. He hears you. Then if we ask anything, whatever we ask, it kind of covers all bases, doesn't it? I mean, everything is there. I know sometimes we think prayer uh, uh, has to be um, you know, just about churchy things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read these verses again to you here in a minute. So how does this high and holy calling of sitting on the throne with the Lord Jesus Christ who is ascended and glorified and ruling the world in terms of the kingdom of God in prayer, how does that work out? Because that's where we are. I mean, when you tell people we're sitting in the throne, what's the reason? I mean, there's a purpose here. You know, I hear all of these things and, you know... So many people, I heard a guy this morning, all he's talking about, well, you got to repent, you got to do that. Uh, you know, and they talk about being saved. And people will come into the church and talk to church people who have been in that church for 40, 50 years and talk about the same thing every week. You got to repent to be saved. Well, listen, John said, I'm right to you who are already been saved, right? 
I'm not, be, I'm not being evangelical here. I'm writing to you who already believe on the name of Jesus. Now let's get to the next thing. And the next thing is you're seated with him in the throne. Why? Why would he do that? And you know, the, the church has this mindset of, hey, let's get out of here. Rapture me out of here. Get us out. The world is crumbling around us. And I've asked you, uh, well, I've read to you, who's in charge? I mean, we read in Psalm 115, uh, he gave the earth to the children of men. It's yours. I mean, what would you do? I mean, I, I, mean, I guarantee you. I mean, I've already talked to Tim. He, had, he was having some heat pump problems. What did he do? It's his house. He got to go get it fixed, right? So what happens? The earth is ours. Same principle in it. The earth is ours and it's falling apart, so we got to do something about it. And our doing something about it is prayer. And, and we, we have this confidence that whatever we ask, He hears us. We have the petitions. So I'm legal to pray for a not guilty verdict in a Kyle Rittenhouse case. I'm legal to do that. Because He hears me. And I know He hears me. And I know that my words mean something in the outcome of that. I mean, I really believe that with all my heart. And I mean, I can, I can pray for countries and, and people and towns and, and school boards. and I mean, we got to. But he says here, if we ask anything, what? According to his will. So the crux of the matter is knowing the will of God. And this is where so many people get off base because they don't know God. They don't know God. And, and so that's why I want to I read you uh, some more here. Now, I, I pulled this up on my phone. Uh, this is out of the Passion Translation. I just want to give you another translation here because King James here can get kind of rough. Let me read it out of the King James. In uh, verse 15, if we know that he hears us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin and there is not a sin unto death. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. Let me read it out of this other translation here. We know that he hears us and whatever we ask. We also know that we have obtained the request we ask of him. Now he's talking about prayer, right? He says, I'm going to write to you for those of you who believe in the name. And this is the confidence that if we ask anything according to his will, that he hears us, that we have the petition. He doesn't, he's not changing the context here. Right? He's not changing the context. Another chapter, another... He goes right on and says, If anyone observes a fellow believer habitually sinning in a way that doesn't lead to death. Now we did some teaching up here on Wednesday night about the sin unto death. And I'm going to tell you what, what the sin unto death is. The sin unto death is unbelief. 
Because this whole thing is, I want you to believe. So that's the only sin there is left. There is believing, and the only, sin, the only other sin now is unbelief. And unbelief cuts you off from the Lord Jesus Christ. And then everything comes out of that, but that's, that's it, unbelief. He wants us to have confidence because we're believers. We go back to Hebrews. This is the assurance. That's confidence. I want you to have the assurance of hope, the assurance of faith. I want you to have confidence, as, as Denise said, so that we could come boldly. There's confidence in that. Boldly to the throne of grace. To do what? To, to seek mercy and grace in the time of need. To ask. And he goes right on in this prayer, if anyone observes a fellow believer habitually sinning in the way that doesn't lead to death, you should keep interceding in prayer that God will give that person life. Now remember we ended up last week with William Brandon praying for the guy, what, 57, 58 years, and the guy got saved at his funeral. And see, we can keep continually praying for that person. How? In confidence, knowing that God hears our prayers. A God who doesn't give up on people. We get tired and we give up on them. But he says, look, I want you to have the confidence. If you see a believer here in this sin, you know he's a believer. You keep, he says, you keep on with confidence interceding for that person in prayer. That God would, would give him life. We know he's already got life, but that's the way John is saying that. Now, there is a sin that leads to death. That is the sin of unbelief. And I, I'm not encouraging you to pray for those who commit it. And then he makes this statement, all unrighteousness is sin. But there is a sin that does not result in death. We are convinced, this is verse 18, that everyone fathered by God does not make sinning a way of life. I know people would say, well, if you're born, born of God, you can't sin. No, this is this habitual thing. You can't make sin in a way of life. Why can't you? You can't because you've got a new, new heart. There's a new person living in you. You, can't, you may sin. You will. You'll fall back. And, but you can't stay there. You know it ain't right. Does not make sin in a way of life because the Son of God protects the child of God and the evil one cannot touch him. Have you guys ever heard of this? And I was talking to this guy the other day, and we was talking about demon possessed. And he says, "Well, if you ever pray for somebody like that, you got to be careful." I said, "Well, you mean because a demon will come out of them and get into you?" Now, what did we just read here? The evil one cannot touch him. Guys, you are sealed. Do you know what sealed is? Sealed means, you know, the lid's been closed and sealed up. You're, you're another person's property. You belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he ain't sharing you with the devil. That's just all I am. I mean, you, uh, it just ain't going to happen. But, you know, now let me keep on reading here and you'll see. We know that we are God's children and that the whole world lies under the misery and influence of the evil one. Listen to what John said all the way back there 2,000 years ago. The whole world lies in the misery, not only the misery, the influence 
of the evil one. Paul wrote to us in Galatians, this present evil age. And we know that the Son of God has made our understanding come alive so that we can know by, know by experience the one who is true. And we are in Him who is true, God's Son, Jesus Christ, the true God and eternal life. So little children, guard yourselves from worshiping anything but Him. And, and here it says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Do you know what an idol is? And, and we, we've talked about this before, but let me go back. I know a lot of people think an idol is something you see on some South American island there, and they got a big stone head uh, built up there. <clears throat> Idolatry goes all the way back to the original sin. It, it comes out in this, hath God said. So it comes out with a view other than what God really is. Keep yourselves from the false idea of God. Who is what? Who is love? People have made people in the in, in the name of church, in the name of the Bible, have made God a monster. John warns us here: keep ourselves from that. Remember what he said, the whole world lies in misery and under the influence of who? The evil one. You want to know what's going on around the world, the chaos. God is not the author of confusion. You want to know what's going on. You're seeing the works of the devil being manifest in Washington, D.C., in these school board meetings, you are seeing it right in front of your face. And these reporters get on TV and lie. And all of the stuff that goes on right in our own communities, you're seeing it. The whole world, he says. And it and see, that's why I have to stress this over and over. Because when you look at that, it's easy to say it's too big. It's too big. What can we do? Just give up. Get me out of here. Blow it all up and let's start again. John says, I want you to have the confidence to know what his will is. And to know that he hears every prayer. I mean, this is big. Now, most of the time, two true believers, uh, mature, I got to say that. I got to say mature believers. Sharing the life of Jesus, sharing in the life of Jesus in, in everything. Knowing God is our Father in Christ Jesus. We, we pray, uh, sometimes shooting arrows you know, not like Cupid, but we shoot prayer arrows right at the person, right at the problem, without them even even knowing it. Happened last last night. Uh, Tracy and I went to VMVs, and and I'm sitting there in in, in kind of a trance. And she said, "What's we we what's I forget what she said. What are you thinking about?" And I said, "That ah. there was a family that walked in there. I never seen these people before." 
But they had two or three little boys with them. And then boys, I mean, they looked like they were seven or eight years old. One of them looked like he had glasses uh, half inch thick. But these are just little old giddy boys just bouncing around. There was a couple little girls with him. I don't know who these people was, but it just on my heart to pray for that family and them little, and them little kids. So I'm just sitting there in prayer, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking, man, that little boy wearing the glasses, why is that? That's because of the fall. That's because of the sin of this world. These things ought not be. It's not supposed to be that way. I'm looking around and I'm thinking, this ought not be. It's not supposed to be that way. I mean, thank the, the Lord for glasses. I had the eye surgery. And I mean, some of you wear glasses. I have to wear them. I got them on now. So it, it's not supposed to be that way. It's because of the fall. And I had a right to shoot an arrow right at that family. And I shot an arrow of the blessings of God because I realized we're the blessing bearers. And if they're going to be blessed, we're the ones that's going to bring it to them. So I'm praying blessings. I'm shooting arrows right into the people. And he didn't even know they're being blessed. The way, that's the way we roll, ain't it? They don't even know what's hitting them. I don't know their names. May never see them again before in my life. But, but I will. I, can, let me just interject something right here. Now, this is just kind of my belief. And, and maybe this will be an encouragement to you. But I believe that one day, all of those people that we've prayed and interceded for, we'll see and we'll meet in the glories of heaven. I, I, I mean, I just, I just believe that. All those little people, you don't even know their names, you don't, and you may never see them again. I believe one day, Paul said, there's a crown laid up for me. That was Paul's crown. It wasn't a crown of gold with jewels. It was people. The crown is people. So that encourages me where to go. Now, I just don't go out everywhere praying. There was other people in the place that I did not pray for. It wasn't laid on my heart to pray for them. I didn't say, okay, everybody in the store is going to be blessed. It was them. I shot my bow and arrow right at them, especially that little boy of blessing on that little boy. You know? And that's the way I do when I go into the store and it just happens. And, you know, I walk in there, I got my quiver, a quiver of blessing and you know, I shoot it at people. They don't even know. I'm a deadly weapon. I just like to think of myself as a deadly weapon. I mean, we live in an open heaven. We have that right. Heaven is open. When they stood there on the banks, and, and I mean, I saw heaven open. I saw, and it didn't close back up. There's no more brass heaven. It is done. I mean, Jesus opened and none can shut. It's who you are. And you know what, guys? That should be normal Christian life. That's, that's how we should live. That's just normal everyday stuff. I, I tell you that. Just You know, that's just how I live. I hope you live that way. It's bound up with prayer. I mean, everywhere you go, uh, uh, things you do. I know sometimes you've went into and laid hands on people. Sometimes you don't. I mean, you're sitting there eating, eating, uh, you know, a piece of chicken and praying for somebody. Nobody even knows it. Now, when you was younger, 
You may have spent much time in, in, in prayer wanting what, what God's will was in a situation. What God's will was for a person. You know, I, I didn't used to be able to pray for people like that because we, we grew up so steeped in predestination. God forbid, you know, I'm praying for somebody that God didn't want in his kingdom because his kingdom was only for the select. So I really was like, oh, God, you know, I'm just, you know, be told me, you know, you're, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of that verse. Not a dog returns to his vomit, but there's a cast your pearls before the swine. Yeah, don't. Like, come on. Uh, there's another verse that, that came to Peter and said, you know, at one time that was it, but Peter, what I've cleaned, don't you dare call common or unclean anymore. And we sang that song, What Can Wash Away My Sin. Well, guess what did wash away your sin? Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The only sin left is unbelief. You won't believe it. You won't come into it. You won't let that cleansing blood do its work. But anyway, as you come into situations or for a person, as you know the Lord, as you learn the Lord, and, and, and um, these are areas of, of, of prayer, serious areas. Call it a place of uh, intercession. And as you learn, it's, it's a gained place. You know what I mean? A gained place. Meaning, at one time it was there and it took you weeks. But once you was there, now you know. You know His will, His mind, His intention because you've already been there. I can ask and it's done. What do you mean? Guys, He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And if I, if I learn who he is and his mind in this situation, I, don't, you know, I, don't, I didn't have to ask, Lord, is it your will for that little boy to see well and, and, and to come into the knowledge of you? Do I have to ask that really? I don't have to ask that no more. See, I used to. Oh, Lord, I mean, is it really your will? Do you really want to bless him? I don't, I've learned that. So it's no longer a struggle. I know it. And I know he doesn't change. So I can go in and shoot my arrows. It's a gained place. I've gained that place. Another, another person may come and, and try and use the same words and the same formula and nothing happens. Because it's a gained place. You just can't come and copy. I'm telling you, I learned this. You must learn it. But that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about here is, is when you really have a burden, uh, weighted down, feel heavy. Could be for a person, could be for a situation, could be for a ministry, could be for politics, could be for the country, school board, whatever. Like I told you, I was praying for, for Kyle and... and, and I mean, as the week went on, and, uh, you know, I figured this would be a couple hours and they would be out. I thought it was cut and dry and it kept dragging on. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, what's going on? So, I, you know, you feeling the weight more and more and more. I'm watching my phone all the time waiting for this thing to, to come out. And, and, and 
I was just in prayer. Praying for cities. I don't know about you, uh, but, and maybe it's me, maybe I'm learning, but my prayer for some of these cities is for the believers to get out. I, I, I mean, I'm just being honest with you, and I, I mean, uh, you know, I, I think of the, the, uh, the destruction and the things that is going on there, you know. I mean, I go, I'll, everything I see is scripture-wise, guys. I mean, to me, I'm thinking, okay, here's Sodom and Gomorrah. What did he do? Go get Lot and his family and get out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Go get Lot and get, his, get the believers out. I'm destroying the city. God doesn't change. So I look around and I see some of this stuff. Does this... Do, I'm just kind of talking to you today. I was, I was talking to this guy the other day, and uh, he was talking about his brother. And his brother, he's, he's, uh, he's angry. He looks, at this, he looks around at the world, and, you know, one of those people that Rittenhouse shot was a pedophile. And they're going to do him like they did George Floyd and try to make a hero out of a pedophile. It's pitiful. I mean, I mean it's, it's, it's really pitiful. I know you think, well, what does it have to do with the gospel? It has everything to do with the gospel. This is where our world is at. This is the influence of the evil one. We're here for this very reason to put that, put that stuff down. But this guy, he gets, he gets angry at the Lord for not doing something about it. You know what I mean? He wants, and, and, and of course, when a friend talks to him, they're brothers, when a friend talks to him, he's like, well, you, you can't be the judge, you know, and, you know well, you, you're, you're a sinner too, and all, all of this other stuff. And I said, well, wait a minute here. Wait a minute here. I said, there's a cry in your brother's heart for justice. Is there not? God is a just God. And if you don't feel the desire for justice in your heart, you're missing the heart of God. I mean, this is, this is righteousness. What does righteousness mean? What is right? In the book of Revelation, these cried under the altar, How long? How long, O Lord? These cried day and night. And I asked the question, How long, O Lord? Because I desire justice. I desire justice for the, for the little boys that he molested. Where's the justice? And see, that's why we preach be angry and sin not because something ain't right here and it shouldn't be right. So yes, there has to be some judgment involved. There has to be. I mean, do you understand what I'm talking about here? I said, wait a minute. I said, your brother, although maybe this angry needs to be focused, but he's got a heart here, a heart after God who desires justice. He he wants something. I read in the scriptures how they come to the judge all the time. This, This woman, she kept coming to the judge over and over. You're a righteous judge. You're a righteous judge. I'm going to keep coming back. And John is telling us, and, and you see, this is why prayer is, can become such a burden and so weighty because I don't know how to do that. 
and bring about the justice of God. Because I would bring about man's justice and it would be a lynching. That's why we got to have the Holy Spirit. That's why there's an anger there and we need to be involved. But there's this burden and there's this, there's this uh, going to the Lord, knowing He hears us. There's this groaning. I told, uh, I told my brother the other day, I said, I'm praying for this guy. And I said, right now I'm in the grunting stages. You know what I mean? I ain't got a prayer yet. I'm in the grunting stage. I'm in the groaning stages. But I'll stay there because I know I have the confidence that he hears me. So yeah, I'm going through the grunting stages. We are supposed to be involved in praying for such things. Because it's the Holy Spirit that makes known to us the mind of God, the will of God. He loves us. Do you, do you know this, that God likes you? He's united to us specifically for prayer. And, and again, there's no formulas here. We can't make it a formula. What I'm saying here is, I told you I was in the groaning stages, the grunting stages. The most important thing here is the prayer before the prayer so that you just don't blunder in. Right? I mean, remember we talked about going to the board meetings and, and all this other stuff. There's a lot of prep work before you go to the board meeting. Don't you? A lot of research has been put put in there's a there's a lot of stuff see people don't want to put in the research they just want to blunder in that's what little kids do you know sometimes uh you know i blunder in the grocery store that's why i have to go all the time because i don't make a list and i walk right in i walk right out and i get home and i'm thinking the one thing you went you didn't get so i wasn't prepared I'm talking about the prayer before the prayer, the preparation. The scriptures would say, Jesus spent all night in prayer. It says he rose up early. On many occasions he rose up early. I got to ask you, was Jesus making requests all night long? What was he doing? In Luke 9, 18, it says he was alone praying. His disciples were with him. Was he making requests? Well, I got the same Bible y'all got. So I'm not, I'm not sure. But there was something taking place there, right? Jesus said he could only do what the Father showed him. When did the Father show him or give him direction? You ever wonder that? Jesus says he only speaks what the Father has told him. Where did Jesus get those words? In, in John 14...
John 14, this is, this is his last night, right? He's in the upper room. They're having to pass over supper. They've just finished their supper, and, and Judas has gone out, and he's kind of telling them what's going to happen. I mean, this is the last night, right? The last night of his earthly ministry. And if people try to put this way off, I, I want to bring this right down here. And uh, he, he says, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. Now remember, this is in John that I'm reading this. John is the same one who we read from in the epistle. John is sitting at the table. John has got his head right here on the breast of Jesus. And he's hearing Jesus say, let not your heart be troubled. John says, I'm writing to you so that you will have the confidence uh, to know that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Keep interceding. Keep praying. In my father's house are many mansions. That's a terrible translation. In my father's house, in my father's heart, there's many abiding places. I go to prepare a place for you. Where was he going? He was going to the cross. And I will come again and receive you unto myself. When did he come again? He came again three days later and stood in the very room where they were. Appeared in the room and the doors being closed and he stood. And what did he say? Peace. And he breathed on them. <laughs> yeah. He just told Peter, I'm going where you can't go. And then he says, where I'm going, you're going to go. Oh, yeah, he went to the cross, and then he came right back. And then he tells us this. In verse 10, because they said, show us the Father. Show us the Father. They're asking Jesus, show us the Father. And he says, in verse 9, have I been so long with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest then thou, show us the Father? Now listen to this question he asked. Believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? I mean, he's, he's talking. I mean, he's saying, don't you, do you believe this? I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he... Doeth the works. What Jesus is saying here, and, and, and you got to hear this when you break this really down. Jesus is saying that the Father has taught him the very intonation of his voice. You know what that means? That means, uh, you know, I could blindfold Tim in this room where Tim couldn't see nothing and we could all speak to Tim and he would know Denise's voice right out of the way. He, he could pick it out, right? Because they're joined together. Jesus is saying, the Father taught him to hear the very uh, tone, sound of his voice. The Father taught him that. This is how intimate this relationship between the Father and the Son was. He says, he says, the Father not only taught me what He said, but how He said it. 
And it was taught to him by the Father. Well, when was it taught him? I believe in those nights. In those early mornings. He wasn't just going there with a long list of petitions. He was gaining the mind of the Father, understanding the intention of the Father's heart, getting to know the, the Father that he represented. He represented the Father. That's what he said. Believest thou not if you've seen me? I'm, the, I'm representing the Father to you. I know him. When it just uh, a little bit earlier, think about this. Uh, here's Lazarus. Lazarus was one of Jesus' best friends. I mean, what would you do? You get the call. Hey, your best friend is about to die. You're Jesus. What do you do? I mean, they're, 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 I mean, when Jairus came to Jesus talking about his daughter, man, he dropped everything and went. Right? I mean, when the Roman centurion came to him and said, hey, you know, pray for my servant. Jesus prayed. Well, I mean, you know, boom. You'll go. You'll find him well. Lazarus, your best friend is sick. Didn't do nothing. You ever wonder that? I mean, you're the disciples with him. You'd be like, hey, what's going on here? First day go by. Second day go by. I mean, nothing is happening here. He does nothing for two days. In, in verse uh, 6 here, chapter 11, verse 6. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. <laughs> what do you mean, abode two more days there? You need to be getting on with it. What was he doing there? When it seemed like he was doing nothing. Well, he was doing something there. Because here he comes, and he, he comes right up. To the tomb, over in verse 40, 41. He just tell him, I told you, if you believe, you'll see the glory of God. What's he saying? Remember I told you, you'll see who he really is? And they took away the stone from the place where it, where it had been laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. When, when was he praying? Those two days. Those two days. When he stood before the tomb, he wasn't praying. I mean, he just said, I thank thee, Father, that thou hearest me. And I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it. That they may believe that thou hast sent me. See, when he said that, we're coming in on the end of something. He's already, he's already prayed. He's already received the answer. When he, when he says this in public, it's just to thank the Father. Right? That the prayer he had prayed before had already been answered. Then he simply turns around and says, what? Lazarus, come forth. That wasn't on the spur of the moment. It was a, it was a result of the prayer he had already been praying in those two days. Uh, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 6. I want you to listen to this. You know what Deuteronomy means? Second law. 
I don't know if you ever. Deuteronomy is a book of four sermons, but Deuteronomy means the second giving of the law. Remember the first giving of the law? Moses come down and broke those tablets of stone. And he went back up and got it again. So Deuteronomy means the second giving of the law. Uh, anyway, it's a little side note. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6. Listen to these instructions. Now, let me back up just a little bit. The, uh, these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that you might do them in the land whether you possess. Hear, O Israel, hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that thou may be well with thee, and that thou may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers has promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Now verse 6, And these words, which I command thee this day, shall be in thine heart. Now who's talking here? Now, Moses is writing this, but these are God's words, right? So when he says, and these words which I command thee this day shall be in your heart, who is that? God is saying these words which I command you this day shall be in thine heart. Now, remember, new covenant, you got a new heart and a new mind. He says, I want my mind... In your heart. God is saying, I want my mind in your heart. Right? Now, how was his mind going to get in your heart? Now, remember, we read it. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled. Let his mind be in your heart. We'll, we'll go back to John here in a minute. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Thou shalt teach them diligently. What? His, his commands, right? Teach them unto the children. And shall talk of them when thou settest in thine house. And when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and thou shalt be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them on the, upon the post of the house, upon thy gates. Now see, when they, when they heard that, these people go out and they put these little things up on the side of their doors. And they say, oh, well, that marks me as being a Jew. They put them over the doorpost and they go in and that wasn't what he was talking about. He's speaking here to fathers to teach the children the mind of God. Now, at their, at their juncture here in Deuteronomy... All they had of the mind of God was the law, the Torah, the first five books. They didn't have nothing else. It wasn't fully brought out until the Lord Jesus Christ came on the scene, who was the express image of the Father. Let this mind, I mean, that's why on the very mountain he said, This is my beloved Son, hear ye him. He said, my mind shall be in your heart. I mean, you, you think about this. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto the children. Thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thy house, when thou walkest in the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up. What an assignment. He's saying, you fathers, you are to teach your children when you sit down. Just don't go hang out. Right? 
Teach them. When you sit with your kids, teach them the Torah. Teach them the mind of God. When you go walking on the road, because they see that, I mean, nowadays it would be when you're driving in the car. Teach them the mind of God. Teach them the Torah. When it's bedtime, teach them the Torah. When it's time to get up, teach them the Torah. Let the last thing they hear before they go to bed be the mind and heart of God. When they wake up, let the first thing they hear be the mind and will of God. Teach them at night. Teach them at mealtime. Teach them on the road. Let all of life be a lesson. And when you learn this, you'll see that all of life is a lesson. And the Lord is on display everywhere in everything. You'll see. Now this seems very much like the life of Jesus. As Jesus walked on the road, he was listening to the Father teaching because what do we have? God has given us a picture. Who's the Father here? He says, fathers, teach your children. Because he's given us a picture of who the Father is and what the Father's going to do is, is teach his children. And he starts off with the Lord Jesus Christ. So as Jesus is walking on the road, the Father's teaching him. As Jesus is going to bed, the last thing he hears is the Father's voice. When he gets up, it's the Father's voice. Everywhere he goes is a lesson. That's why he could say the parables, because he saw the Father in everything. The Father was constantly teaching him, teaching him his own mind. Before Jesus went to bed, he let the Father teach him. He rose up early to hear the Father teach him. Jesus was doing Deuteronomy 6. He's the child. He's the last Adam, the perfect human being taught of the Father. He's getting to know his Father's heart. And it's contained in the word prayer. The word prayer should be understood as every openness to God. I know we want to say it's conversation. And and we're not throwing conversation out, but I want to add more to it. It should be our openness because Deuteronomy 6 says the Father's going to teach. And I, I would tell my kids this all the time. You can never learn with your chops moving. Right? You don't learn with your chops moving. It's got to be closed. You got to be open. Open means I'm listening. And guys, when... Uh, you know, in the scriptures, when it talks about obeying, that's what obeying means. Obeying don't mean, well, God said to turn left, I turn left. Obeying means open your heart and listen, and listen with an understanding to do what you're being taught. Live it. Prayer covers the whole spectrum of relationship to God. That's how Jesus prayed. He knew the mind and the heart of the Father. Then out of that, he came to address the people of authority, whatever whatever the need was. That was the prayer before the prayer. Now people will argue and they'll say, well, that was Jesus. You don't expect me to be like him, do you? The fact is, that was Jesus. Who is Jesus? Son of the living God. Jesus being who he is, you would think he wouldn't have to pray. You think he'd be the last person that would need to pray and learn the Father. I thought he would just know everything. The scripture says he learned. He grew. But as perfect human, everything we were meant to be, Jesus lives a life of prayer. So it's not a comparison between us and him. It's recognizing 
that here is what I was destined to be. What you were destined to be. This is what we were created for. Knowing the heart of God. Knowing the mind of God. He'll teach us. That's why John says, keep yourselves from idols. Because we have this mindset that, that he's withholding something from me. That he's... What I'm telling you is, just give him time. Open your heart. Deuteronomy 6. Go back and look. He's the, he's the father. You're the child. He's teaching. And he's teaching you at every... That's what he says when, you, when you're going by the road, when you're sitting down, when you're standing up, when, you, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. He's the Father. And he, he's never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And every day he's teaching you the heart and mind of the Father. That's what he's doing. He's the Father. Now, Jesus, who's the last Adam, and he's in you and you in him, and he'll raise up in you those urges, those desires to walk by the road and hear the voice of the Father before you go to bed and when you get up to hear the voice of the Father to get you in that teaching, learning mind. It's simply the time for knowing the Father's heart. We need that time. We need that time. And I can't stress this enough. Don't be in a rush. I mean, people come into the church nowadays, and they've been in the church for three months, and they want their own ministry, and they want to go out, and they want to do these things, and they think they don't know squat. That's what's happened in the pulpits is people don't know nothing. Little children get up, and blind. They may be believers, and they may be saved, but they... I hear the children crying from the pulpit every day. Everything is so fast-paced, right? Everything's so rushed. Everything today is so shallow, isn't it? We got to get back to basics. There's no microwave prayers. When I tell you I've been praying, uh, when I tell you I'm in prayer for, for a person, I'm in the groaning stages. I don't know how long this may be. I'm hoping it ain't 58 years. <laughs> well, at least that would make me 112. So that might not be bad. That'll make Tracy 75. It's quick math in my head. If you're going to pray, understand the enormity of what you're doing. Understand the eternal significance, the importance of what you're doing. Take your time. I need to know what, what it is God wants to do in this matter. You need to know that. This matter that stands right in front of you, this person that stands right in front of you, this event, this situation... That has to be handled. What is it the Father wants? What does He want me to do? And again, it's not a sweat work. It's, it's not difficult because the Holy Spirit is in you. Let's go back to John. John 14. Now remember, uh, Deuteronomy 6, keep that in mind. 
uh, verse 12, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me the works that I do, he shall do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Now see, I know when people get talking about the greater works. I'm going to tell you the greater works here. All has to do with prayer. Because he says, and, there's that conjunction again, whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. I'm, in my name, that's according to his will. That's what that means. Same thing. If you love me, keep my commandments. Now, lo and behold, what are these commandments? I just read them to you in Deuteronomy 6. I know we think, well, that every time we hear the word commandments, that means to keep the Ten Commandments. Well, there was 613. But what is he really saying here? He's saying Deuteronomy 6. You're the child. He's the father. Be open. Learn of him. If you'll, I mean, and he goes on to tell us these things as we go on and read. If you'll keep my commandments, if you love me, keep my commandments. Be open. That's what he's saying. Be open. Know him. Listen to him. Obey. Learn of him. That's what he's saying, Deuteronomy 6. And Jesus says, I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter. That he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. So in the middle of this asking, in the middle of this praying, Jesus says, I'm going to send the comforter. Now, he's not talking about all these different topics here, is he? He's talking about knowing the Father. He's talking about prayer. And in the middle of that, he's not. So all of these are together, right? Knowing the Father, prayed, and the Holy Spirit. All of these together, without any one of them, you have no prayer. All these three together. And he says, hey, you'll have it. Knowing the Father, asking, the Holy Spirit living. Oh, we got, we got prayer here. Verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless. Now remember Deuteronomy 6 says, the fathers are going to teach the children. This word comfortless right here, you know what that means? I won't leave you orphans. What's an orphan? An orphan is somebody who don't have a dad. He says, you won't be somebody who don't have a father that is teaching them. You will have a teacher. And he will be your, not only a teacher, he will be your father. You see, they used that. The law was their schoolmaster. It was their teacher. But we have another one who is not only our teacher and our comforter. He's also our father. I, I mean, he's saying here, I will teach you. Skip down to verse 27. Or uh, verse 26, I'm sorry. But the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall what? Teach you all things. And bring all things to your remembrance. Whatsoever I've said unto you, he's going to teach you all things. Now, what's he teaching? 
Deuteronomy 6, the mind and the heart of the Father, which is expressed in the person of Jesus Christ. So this Holy Spirit is doing Deuteronomy 6. When? When you get in your car, when you go to the store, when you go home, when you get up, when you sit down on your couch, when you're watching TV, everywhere. Be open. It's all He's teaching you. And He desires to teach you the mind and heart of the Father. Jesus says in verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He's telling us, he's saying, stop it. Stop being afraid. Does he not? Is he not telling us? He says, you stop being afraid. John, the same guy, writes to us, this is the confidence. I want you to have the confidence. I want you to have the assurance that if we ask anything, we have it. I can go in with the confidence and assuredness and ask. And we're required to ask. He wants us to ask. So we see little babes, they tremble and they cower and they say, oh man, it's too much. Oh, what do you mean? Our country's falling apart. And he says, stop it. You don't know who you are. You're seated with, in the throne here. I've sent the comforter. The, and I mean, he's in you and he'll teach you all things. Don't be afraid. And, and, you know, I, as I was groaning in my prayer, I groaned up until Saturday. And I was, I was, and, you know, here we go. I'm going down the road. I just pulled out of Walmarts because I'd forgotten stuff because I didn't make a list. And I just pulled out of Walmarts. I was headed over to pick up Tracy. And as I came out, this very situation that I was groaning about and, and grunting about just got easy. Just got easy. Because I know that these other people that I talked to, they said, oh, man, uh, you, you better fast, you better pray, you better do all of this other stuff. And you know what? I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. So I'm really studying on the matter. And I'm, and as I pulled out, going down the road, I just hear the Lord say, do we need to add anything to the finished work of Jesus Christ? Is there anything you can add here? I thought, well, no. <laughs> Is not all authority in heaven and in earth already mine? Uh, yeah. And I just, I began to rest. And you know, he says, my peace, I leave with you. Didn't he? I mean, right in the middle of prayer, now peace came. So now I'm still groaning. I don't have all the words. I got some of the words, believe you me, which I'm not sharing with you because they're not for you. They're for him when I see him again. But hey, I got some of the words and I got peace. And ever how they go, they go. But you know what? I ain't being afraid of it no more. Because, I, you know, they said, oh, you better watch. You better be right. You better be, you know, them demons, they'll come out and they'll get in you. And I read, John says, no, they can't touch me because I'm sealed with the Holy Spirit. I belong to another. I'm just here in the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ to speak the words that he's given me. Now, I grunted and groaned and grunted and groaned and grunted and groaned. And then if you just rest and listen... It's not all this other stuff. And I thought, yeah, duh. You see, the whole thing is we, we think God is hard to get. So I got to be, I got I to gotta start fasting. I got to start doing this because I got to get a hold of God. I really, guys, he's chasing us. We are never chasing him. 
It's never uh, God is off trying to hide in a bush somewhere. He's on our side. His, <laughs> he wants to reveal his heart to us. He desires his good pleasure to give us the kingdom. He's not withholding. That's a lie of the devil. That's, a, that's this idle stuff. Oh, we got to praise him into existence. So, oh, you don't. Listen, and I'm going I'm to finish right here. Malcolm told me this story. And it, and it seems like a lot of people around the world believe the Bible a whole lot more than we do. He said in Africa, when they had uh, mentally ill people, what we would call, they led them around in chains. Still do. Lead them around in chains. Because I've thought about the Gadarean man over and over and over and over, the Gadarean man. But anyway, they would let them around in chains. And it didn't matter if they were demon-possessed. And guys, I'm very ignorant on all this stuff. I'll just be honest with you. But I'm not afraid of it anymore because it don't really matter because I know he has all authority. But this, this over there in Africa, they would be leading these people around in these chains. And one day, this pastor's coming out to get into his car, and he sees this guy leading this person in chains and walking down the road. And it just came to him just like this. He's, he said, stop. How dare you, devil, parade in front of my house. He said, take those chains off that man. Put him in my car. As soon as you do, he'll be healed. Malcolm said, that man's a deacon in the church this very day. He met him. I seen somebody put on Facebook the other day, a preacher in this town, saying you got to get all of these people out of your life. If they're not doing all this stuff in your life and, you know, and all this hoopla. Guys, if it's brought before you, there's a reason. There was a reason that man and woman and those kids, Teddy, walked in front of me last night so I could shoot my arrow of blessing at that little boy. There's a reason God brings these people and situations into your life because God loves them and His access to them is through you, His body. So when He brings them before you and, and, they do, and you know what? They don't go away, do they? You may turn your back and run on them and the church is telling you, turn your back and run on them. No, God wants to love them and bless them. You know why? Because he bought and paid for them with his own precious blood. Every single one. All the crazy people that are all in this world and, and the pedophiles and every single one that are out there. Jesus came and died for the world. And Psalm 2 tells us, ask the heathen. Ask for them. And I'll give you the heathen for your inheritance. And thank God, because you know what you and I were? We were heathens, dead in trespasses and sins. And thank God, somebody bore the burden of praying for each and every one of us. And the great grace came upon us. And we believed. 
in the name and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We were saved because somebody prayed. Now, I'm going to say this and I'm going to close. You can pray for everything Jesus won on the cross. That's the limit to your prayer. You can't pray beyond what Jesus did one on the cross. You can't pray for anybody who Jesus didn't die for. Yeah. And another thing that also you can pray for anything that would hinder the gospel to be removed. That's Mark 16, isn't it? Right? Anything that would stand in the way of the preaching of the gospel. Guys, and I, I pray for that. I do. For this idle, false stuff, I pray for the Lord. Take it down. Stop it. There, I, I mean, I, I really do. And you should. You should get involved in that. This gospel has to go forth. This is good news. Good news of who the Father is. I'm not going around looking for demon-possessed people. But make no mistake. When they're brought before me, and they want to hinder the preaching of the gospel, they'll know who sits on the throne. They will know. I will quit with that. Mm -hmm.